Dan Bongino. I have an obligation to come on the air with data and material and research. I can't just say, trade stinks. Thanks for tuning in. The Dan Bongino Show. Well, let's jump right in because we have no time for nonsense. Get ready to hear the truth about America. When I was a young man, I don't remember it being sexy to want to allow a nanny state to control my life. On a show that's not immune to the facts with your host, Dan Bongino. All right, welcome to the Renegade Republican with Dan Bongino. Producer Joe, how are you today? Uh, Doing well, Cincy. Joe, yeah, man, I'll tell you, I'll beat up this week. It was funny, Joe send me a text. I'm, I'm already my man, and it came over already M-A-M-A-N, like Mammon. Yeah. And it made me think of a story. When I first met Paula and I was dating her, I had to send her a fax. I forget why. She was working in Manhattan in near the World Trade Center at uh, SIFMA, the Securities Industry Financial Market Association at the time. And I had to send her a fax, and it was a, it was a cover sheet on it, and it was from, um, it had the Secret Service thing at the bottom, and it said S.A. Dan Bongino, and it must have come over weird. And her friend picked up the facts, and she's like, "Who's this guy you're dating? Sadan, <laughs> like Maman." She's like, "It's not Sadan. It's abbreviation S A Dan Bongino, not Sadan. My, like my name was Sadan, like Saddam Hussein, like Saddam Bongino." I thought you might have had a four door, you know? know. Yeah, when you made <laughs> that's funny, funny, not Sadan, Sadan. That's funny. I, I thought of that when you said that over, Maman. Ma- I ready, noticed ma-man. that when you said it. Yeah, yeah. So. uh Hey, uh, great weekend for me. If I can share a quick personal story, so you know, I'm I'm really into the ground fighting and Brazilian jiu jitsu. So I just got back into it after you know a little bit of a five year break because of my arthritic shoulders, and so I got my um the the purple belt this weekend. And listen, I know, and you know, that doesn't, you know, I I get it. You guys all have busy lives. You don't need to hear about my personal stuff, but it means a lot to me. And I put a nice Facebook post up this weekend because the Brazilian jiu jitsu man. You know how many beatings I took for that. Belt. But I got it a while ago under a guy named Jim Thrift, who was uh, a Calvert MMA, but I, I I couldn't, you know, I never actually went out and, you know, wound up using the belt. I should have because I used no gi training all the time. But uh, the guy I trained with now, Harlan Taylor, was nice enough to uh, to give me the belt. And man, I took a lot of beatings for that. So this weekend I was rolling around for 35 minutes with this guy who's really skilled. And when you do a lot of Brazilian jiu-jitsu, these geese are super thick, folks. They're like burlap sacks. They're not like those old karate uniforms you you can't use those because if you grab them you'll rip them apart and my fingers i'm not kidding i should put a picture on instagram my (laughs) fingers are about as thick as baseball bats right now they are so swollen from grabbing the inside of this guy's gi and rolling around in a mat for 35 minutes they're purple and they look like chorizo sausages (laughs) it's horrendous oh man i'm just why joe was messing with me when i opened up the show so i'm a little sore today but i feel good all right i got a lot of stories to get to um the weekend, we had the Trump tweet, but WrestleMania thing or whatever that was. There's a lot of stuff hey. to get to. It. Right, yeah. Let me just explain away quick the Trump tweet before I get into the core of the show, which is going to be liberalism just failing everywhere. There's a huge crisis going on in California with Medicaid right now. There's an argument going on about a surtax in Congress. That's a big deal. It's a big deal because the Republicans are getting ready to cave again. And the Illinois budget is imploding in front of our very eyes due to liberal policies. I mean, really imploding, like it's getting very serious in the state of Illinois. But the Trump tweet, a quick note on this. I was in for Hannity on Friday and um, I I mentioned this. Listen, I always make my best attempt to put out there what I would say in front of my wife or anyone else. In other words, I don't like to give a different perspective on the air than I would in my own household. It's not fair to you. That was a weird tweet, folks. Um, it's it's kind of hard for me to 
you know, defend. I got to be honest with you. I, I don't, you know, the violence thing, I'm not <laughs> suggesting that he was saying we should beat up the media. For those of you who missed the tweet, by the way, Trump tweeted out on, was it Saturday morning? It was either Saturday or Sunday morning. I think it was Sunday morning. Sunday morning. Some video yeah. uh, someone had made of when he was, Trump did a thing with the WWE and he, you know, it's, which is, you know, the fake wrestling thing. And at one point, he like attacks Vince McMahon, and someone made a video where they put a little logo of CNN over Vince McMahon's head, so it looks like Trump's like laying out Vince McMahon. Now, you know, listen, I think the guy was suggesting should beat up the press. Obviously not, but it just my problem with it is it gave the press an easy win. CNN is on the ropes right now for their relentless reporting on fake news. So is the AP. So is the New York Times. Which, in case you missed it, and I covered it on a Fox and Friends appearance this weekend, the AP got caught again. They reported on a meeting that happened between the EPA secretary, Scott Pruitt, Trump's appointee, um, the EPA administrator, mm. and this uh, this group. And it was supposed to be like this big meeting that was going to screw over all the environmentalists, Joe. The problem is the meeting never happened. The meeting was canceled. So how do you report on a meeting that never happened? So the AP got busted on that. They also got busted on a topic I've been discussing frequently on the show, this 17 intelligence agencies report that determined that the Russians had tried to hack the election. Well, as it turns out, that that had to be retracted, too. It was never 17 intelligence agencies. People, Tucker Carlson's been saying this every night. It was three, and the other 14 could not confirm that information. Now, they had to retract that, too. So instead of keeping the heat on them, this tweet with, you know, Trump hitting a, a Vince McMahon with a CNN logo. You have to see the tweet. It's very difficult to explain. I couldn't even explain it to my wife. It just took the attention off CNN. I just think it was a really, you know, bad idea. And I wouldn't like it if a Democrat did it either. You know, I don't mind him going after the media tweets at all. I said that last week. I don't want him to stop tweeting. I don't care one little bit about him going after the fake news because that's what they are. They're fake news. I want the guy to mm -hmm. fight back. But this one just, it, you know what I'm saying, Joe? It just left them, it, it completely let them off the hook because mm -hmm. now they're playing victim. Oh, you're in, you're encouraging violence against, you know, media figures, which is ironic because the left actually engages in violence against Republicans and the media doesn't seem to care too much about that. We just had a hmm. shooting by a kooky leftist who shot up a bunch of congressmen on a field in, you know, uh, in Virginia. Yeah. Now, what I explained on Hannity on Friday, and what I'll leave you with on this, is just an explanation of why I think he, I'm not an armchair psychologist. I'm not giving a mental evaluation of Trump. Don't, please don't take it the wrong way. I'm just saying I, I think I get it. And I get it because I, I share a lot of similarities with Trump, uh, not an income level or winning elections, obviously. I wish it were the case. But we're both guys from Queens, and I know the industry he's in very well because my father's been in it forever, and I've been kind of surrounded by it and I've, I've had a lot of you know experience with these kind of folks he's a builder from queens and the thing about queens guys you have to understand queens is a borough in new york for those of you who are not from the northeast or don't know much about it I, it's probably not many of you but mm -hmm. queens is a borough in new york and of the boroughs in new york queens i would say to you because i'm from queens as well the, the men in Queens, we have a little bit, and I say this, and I don't mean this, and I said it on Hannity, and I cringe when I said it, but I, there's no other way to say this, and I don't mean it as an insult. They have kind of an inferiority complex a little bit, and it causes them to reach for more all the time, guys from Queens. And what I mean by that is when you're a Queens guy, you're never viewed as the tough guys because those are the Brooklyn and the Bronx guys. You get what I'm saying, Joe? Mm -hmm. yeah. So you never, so the guys always have to prove that, and they believe me, they are pretty tough. I worked in a in a supermarket with some dudes from Queens who were 
uh, tough, and I don't mean that even in a good way. I mean, these were some of them were downright nasty dudes, and they wouldn't yeah. hesitate at all to to you drop a hammer fist on your head if they needed to. So they're always trying to prove that they're tougher than the Brooklyn and the Bronx guys. And on the financial end, Queens is kind of an affluent borough, but it's not Manhattan. So you're always like, you're never like the rich kids either. So, but it's like you have money for for New York, for New, by New York City standards show, not by like Beverly Hills standards. Mm-hmm. So they're always trying to show that they have money too because they're not like the Manhattan kids. So you'll see kids in Queens with like souped up cars. I remember that, you know, this guy when I, we, we were younger had a Mustang and we thought, oh my gosh, this guy's the richest kid in town. Mm. So there's always this inferiority complex that develops because you have, they're not, the, they're not, a, you have these guys, they're, they're never viewed as as tough as the Bronx and the Brooklyn kids and they're never as rich or wealthy as successful as the Manhattan kids. So the Queens kids are always, always in a fight. They're always battling. They're always battling against the self-image, against an imposed image on them. And folks, if you don't think this is real, by the way, you're out of your mind. And I'll tell you why. One, again, I live there and I went through the same psychological <laughs> crisis, whatever you want to call it myself. <laughs> but when I said it on Hannity on Friday, Joe, you can look at my Twitter feed. I mean, the, the people who tagged me, there's probably a hundred tweets from people from Queens going, dude. You're so right. Like, I'm from Queens. That's exactly how Trump is. He's always, it's all, uh, what I'm getting is it's all about the show, you know? Mm-hmm. You got to show you're tough. So what do you do? You fight back. You got to show your assets and show you're your, your wealthy and successful. He's a Queens guy. He fights against, he had a fight against union, uh, you know, union interests for these buildings. He had a fight against the mob trying to shake him down for the sanitation business. This guy has been a fighter his whole life. I'm not justifying anything. I'm just trying to explain to you why he does what he does. You can ignore it. That's just your prerogative. But I'm telling you that growing up where he grew up and knowing the industry he was in, this guy his entire life has had a fight against the most, some of the most vicious people out there. So there you go. All right. Enough on that. All right. All right. Moving on. Hey, uh, today's show brought to you by Freedom Fest. Are you guys going to this, by the way? Because I'm going to be there and there is a stack. And I mean stack lineup of guests. You have Kennedy uh, from uh, from Fox, formerly of uh, MTV fame, too, as well. You have Deneen Borelli's going to be there. William Shatner's speaking there. It's July 19th to the 22nd. So it's coming up of this year, obviously, at the Paris Resort in Las Vegas. You can check it out at FreedomFest.com. I want you to look at it. I'm going to give you a promo code in a minute here. But Freedom Fest is the world's largest gathering of free minds. This place is going to be packed with people who think just like you and I. I can't recommend this enough. Make a great vacation. And if you're in Las Vegas or you're in that area, please stop by. You don't even have to vacate. You can staycation there. The mission is to bring together everyone who cares about liberty to spend the ultimate three days together learning, sharing, networking, and more. Networking is important. This is its 10th anniversary again, July 19th to the 22nd at the Paris Resort. The theme is Exploring New Frontiers. They have they have a keynote speaker. This guy, Brett Leonard, is going to discuss virtual realities, a futurist, philosophy, the impact of the digital experience on freedom. They have a film festival going on there. They have a bunch of libertarian uh, series going on there, too, the extreme libertarianism. Here's a couple of the titles. No More Gun Control. Don't vote. It just encourages them. Is it a crime to discriminate? Not in my book. These are some of the titles of uh, some of the uh, libertarian uh, series they have going on there. You might want to check this stuff out. Celebrating a life of career, Steve Forbes as well. The major think tanks will be there. I'll be there. I'd love to say hello to you. And the exhibit hall is known as the trade show for liberty. Now, go to freedomfest.com. 
or you can call 855-850-3733 and use code CRTV100 and you'll get $100 off the regular registration rate. That's CRTV100 is a promo code. Go to freedomfest.com. Okay, I'll see you there, folks. The Illinois budget disaster is uh, is imploding. The state of Illinois is in a massive oh. financial crisis. Now, just some background on this, because this story is is why it's not getting national attention to a greater degree than it is, is astounding because mm-hmm. it's an indictment of what can happen in the future to the United States at large if we don't get our fiscal house in order ASAP. Here's a little background on it. They have not had a budget, the state of Illinois, since 2015, which is incredible. That is amazing. Since 2015. Uh, How do you do that? I I have no idea, Joe. I mean, for those of you, I really don't. For those of you who've lost track of time, it's 2017 now. (laughs) So they had a deadline on Friday. The deadline passed. They still don't have a budget. They now have $15 billion in unpaid bills, and bond yields are starting to rise. Now, folks, if you're a regular listener to the show, you, you probably heard me discuss the importance of bond yields in the past. This is why this matters to you and matters to you right now. Bond yields are tied to interest rates for a number of different mechanisms. When I, mechanisms. And when I say interest rates, I mean interest rates that affect you every day. What's an interest rate? Well, an interest rate is what you pay on your mortgage, the percentage rate you pay on your mortgage, the interest rate you'd pay for a car loan, the interest rates you'd pay for a loan if you were in a, in a student loan program and you took some money out on the side. These are these are interest rates that affect your actual wallet every day. If these interest rates were to go up, your wallet is going to shrink by the same amount the interest rate uh, goes up. The percentage is going to affect your income. It is going to hurt you directly. Now, bond yields, the interest rates are rising for Illinois uh, state bonds. Now, why would that be, ladies and gentlemen? Well, for obvious reasons. People who are lending money to the state of Illinois are starting to wonder if they're ever going to get that money back. So to compensate for that risk, when Illinois says, hey, we're going to issue a bond, will somebody buy it? Joe, of course, the market's starting to say, yeah, I'll buy it, but I'm not going to buy it at 2.8% interest. I Mm -hmm. want to buy it at 4.8% interest now. I want two percentage points more because I'm afraid you guys might not pay it back. This is there's nothing new about that. I mean, nothing I'm saying is groundbreaking economics. People want to be compensated for the risk they're going to take with their money. Now, four point eight to be to be candid in the overall scheme of things is still relatively low, especially compared to Greek bonds, which, gosh, were in double digits easily when they were uh, when they're, they're still going bankrupt, by the way. But this is a problem because this is what I've warned you about with the United States debt. I'm going to get to more about Illinois in a second here. But we owe $20 trillion as a country. And I was listening to a podcast, Econ Talk, this weekend with Russ Roberts, I always enjoy. And they had a forum with George Will and David Boaz. And they were talking about some ideas for the future and at, towards the end of the podcast. And, and I, I think it was Boaz who brought up a really fantastic idea talking about our debt, our national debt. So just to be clear where, I, where I'm starting, where I'm going with this. The Illinois state debt is out of control. They have 15. I'm not talking about their total accumulated debt. I'm just talking about their unpaid bills are 15 billion in bills they haven't paid now. I've got more information on how much money they've, they've lost. I mean, it's even worse than you can imagine. But they've they're losing. They're 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 not even they're paying hundreds of millions of dollars in interest on bills. The state of Illinois can't pay. So because they can't do that. They're trying to get more money in the bond market so people will lend them money, Joe. And people are demanding high interest rates because they're afraid they're not going to be paid back. Sure. So my problem with our national debt is 
and this is not a knock on Joe Citizen at all. I know people live really busy, intricate, detailed lives. They got to, they got to get their kids around to school and back, and they work for a living. They don't have time to follow international finance. But one of the problems I've always had is I don't think a lot of people out there, not necessarily this audience, but when you talk about the general public at large, have an understanding of how bad our debt situation is and how one day it is eventually going to stop. You know, it, it can't continue like this, Joe. The right. problem is with Illinois, everybody you know, just brushed it under and said, oh, no, no problem. People keep lending us money until they didn't. Now that Illinois has to pay higher and higher interest rates to get people to lend them money, the higher interest rates, Joe, are causing more debt. The accumulated debt now, they're paying interest on that. This is a downward debt spiral. Mm-hmm. Eventually, if interest rates go up to 6 and 7 and 8% for Illinois, God forbid 10%, they're not going to even have the money to pay the interest on the debt. Forget about the debt themselves. Now, The reason we're not feeling it in the United States at large, as much as the state of Illinois is, is because international lenders are still lending the United States money. And that has a lot to do with trade deficits as well. I mean, we're sending a lot of money overseas to buy Chinese products, which is, I've always said to you, that those Chinese dollars cannot, I mean, those American dollars cannot be spent in China. China does not use that. China has its own currency, so that those dollars have to come back to the United States. But there are a lot of people independently lending money into the into the United States as well, because we're the most secure place to do it. So whereas the Illinois bond market is starting to dry up a little bit and they're having to raise interest rates, the international market, even though we're in a you know a, a near catastrophic debt situation, we know nineteen trillion dollars and the economy's worth about nineteen trillion dollars, people are still lending us money, which is keeping interest rates low. You get what I'm saying, Joe? Like, why pay higher yeah. interest rates as a country if you don't have to? It doesn't make mm-hmm. sense. Now, you may say, so Dan, what's what's the problem? You just you know, you just said Illinois is in trouble because they can't find, you know, people to lend the money, and the United States isn't because they can. The problem is these things can change like that, just like they did for Illinois. Folks, everybody knew Illinois was in trouble, just like they know the United States is in trouble. But the the, the crisis is now acute. Now they've got people, legitimate, I mean, legitimate providers of health care for the poor, you know, housing programs that house the poor. They can't cash a check. There's no money. Ew. Folks, this one day will happen with the United States when we reach a debt point and a debt load where international lenders say, I'm not lending you any more money at two and three percent. I want four and five percent myself. And then it goes up to six and seven percent. And all of a sudden in six months, you're like, what just happened? Now, all of a sudden, your car loan, which was, you know, whatever, five or six percent is 15 percent. Your mortgage is 18 percent. Next thing you know, the United States goes into a massive recession. I'm not trying to scare you, folks. I'm just trying to tell you that what's happening in Illinois should be a, a Paul Revere moment for those of you out there. But liberals, the sad part about this whole thing, Joe, is, you know, liberals are immune to facts. I've said it over and over again. None of this will bother them at all. None of it. None of it will bother them at all. They'll ignore this whole thing. They'll pretend it's a Republican problem because the governor's a Republican, despite the fact that he's been trying to get the Democrats to wake up to how severe the problem is for a long time. It doesn't matter. Liberals will ignore it. Just move on like nothing happened. Now, they're triaging right now their payments, uh, the state of Illinois, and and people are hospitals are being left unpaid. They have colleges that are at risk of losing accreditation because they're state colleges. They can't get their money. Folks, this is a real genuine problem. But I heard an interesting solution. Again, I think it was from Boaz that circling back to that. And this is why I wanted to bring this up, this Illinois crisis. He said, you know, to get people to feel 
the debt crisis, before we hit that interest rate moment, Joe. You get what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Before mm-hmm. we hit that moment where Chinese and Japanese and worldwide lenders say, you know what? We're not lending you money anymore. Right. We don't want to get to that point because that's when interest rates go up and we hit the death spiral, right? Mm-hmm. To get people to feel how severe the debt crisis is and how much taxpayer money is being spent, he said, I got an idea. He's like, and I love this idea. He goes, how about a monthly bill? We don't, there's no more withholding. In other words, no more withholding tax. You get your paycheck, you get your whole paycheck, but you get a monthly bill from the IRS. Like I, I pay quarterlies now. He's like, what if everybody paid monthlies? And then at the end of the year, whatever the annual deficit was that year, say it was 300 or $400 billion, mm-hmm. that amount's divided up amongst U.S. taxpayers, and you get a bill for the end, end of the year for the, for, the, uh, for the deficit, too. Yeah, who is right? <laughs> That's one of those like uh, Tim the Toolman Taylor moments. You're like, uh, uh. everybody would be like, what, folks? The problem now is with withholding. Obviously, the tax is withheld. That's why it's called. You, you get it taken out of your paycheck. But you, you don't have a choice. Some right. of us have gotten so used to it getting taken out of our paycheck that we don't even pay attention to the amount. But if you got a bill every month. For the amount of money government was actually costing you, I'm telling you, even liberals would freak out and be like, this is ridiculous. Thousands of dollars a month I'm paying for the average, uh, you know, a middle class worker or, you know, may not be thousands, but it it would at minimum be uh, probably 500 to 1,000 for a guy who makes 60, Mm $70,000 a year. Plus a bill for the deficit at the end of the year, which would probably be another five, 6,000 bucks, whatever it may be. People Mm. would freak out. But why would they freak out? They would freak out because they were expected to actually pay for the government many of them want, and they don't want to do it because none of this has affected them, Joe. I'm absolutely convinced that Hmm. liberals out there think this is free money. They haven't seen any bump in their interest rates. They haven't seen the economy go into a massive recession. I'm talking about since the uh, financial crisis, right? They haven't seen any of this. Their lives are, and you know, this is good. I'm not wishing pain on anyone, but folks, I'm telling you, the Illinois crisis is going to go national if we don't do something soon. And the only way to do it is to make people feel the effects of their voting decisions. You want to vote for big government, you know, with hundreds of billions of dollars in deficits every year? Fine. You're going to pay for it monthly and you're going to pay for it at the end of the year. Now, I wanted to add one thing to this. If you combine that with a flat tax, everybody pays the same thing. No deductions, no nothing. Get rid of everything. Right. We did a 15, 20% flat tax, or I prefer the fair tax, but it'd be, it'd be tough to push that through right now, which is a national uh, sales tax uh, based on uh, consumption behavior. I like, I like the fair tax a lot better. But if we started with the f- a flat tax on a road to a fair tax, we did a 15 per t- a 20% rate, no deductions. I'm sorry, folks. You live in the United States. Everybody pays into the system, right? You're, you know, you're all going to get back your, if, if you're in a, you know, if you're below the poverty line, you're going to get back the money in programs anyway, but everybody pays that 15 to 20%. You paid a monthly bill or a quarterly bill and then a bill for the deficit at the end of the year. I'm telling you right now, Joe, you'd see voting behavior change, but as they say, uh, some of my friends down South, right quick, you'd see it change fast. People all of a sudden would be like, I don't want to spend two, three thousand dollars a month on government. Yeah, no kidding. You're spending right. it now. You just don't know it because you're passing it off to your friend, your your kids and your friends, which is a shame. Okay. Oh, let's see. Where do I go next? I have so many notes on this. All right, let's do California Medicaid because this is important. I read this story over the weekend, and I thought to myself, gosh, another one, another liberal program imploding in front of our very eyes. And uh, of course, the um, 
you know, that liberals will just ignore this. So California right now is in a Medicaid crisis, and they're really worried because of the proposed Obamacare reforms out there, Joe. They're worried that they may not, uh, they may not have the money in the future for Medicaid, which is ridiculous because they don't have the money now. Right. So just some number. I mean, it's crazy. <laughs> California, the Medicaid program, which is a federal joint federal government and state program, which uh, which is, uh, gives uh, health care, third party payer health care, government health care to people who are poor and at a certain percentage of the poverty line. Here are some numbers on the Medicaid crisis going on in California. This is an amazing one here. California, one third of the population is on what they call Medi-Cal, which is their California Medicaid program. That is an Mm. astonishing 14 million people. 20% of the entire Medicaid population of the entire United States are those 14 million people in California. So one state, is taking up one-fifth, one out of 50 states. Now, granted, it is a rather large population. I get that. I'm not immune to that. But 20% of the entire Medicaid population is Medi-Cal in California. Folks, that's a lot of people. 14 million people. The state of Maryland, where I left, only has, what, 5.5, 5.6 million people? They They have three times as many people in the state of California on government health care than live in the state of Maryland. That is insane. Another number here. Two-thirds of this is funded by you. This is uh, the federal government funds two-thirds of California's program. It's a $100 billion program. Two-thirds of that is funded by you. Now, again, to be fair and give both sides of the economic argument, yes, California does send a lot of money. The federal government is tax receipts as well. Mm-hmm. But those, what goes in and what goes out, those are totally different pools because a lot of times they'll say, well, California sends money, sends more money to the federal government than it gets back. But a lot of those numbers are skewed, Joe, because a lot of the money that the federal government sends back to states depends on things like military bases in the state, you know, the percentage of social security population, people who are old. So how much you send and get back, I don't, I don't, I never trust those numbers as an adequate measure of like who's contributing what, because it's largely dependent on uh, factors out of your control. You know what I'm saying, Joe? In other words, it's not. Yeah. It's a lot of it's not dependent on how great the state economy is. It's how many right. older folks you have on Social Security, military bases, and things like that. So, mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm again, I'm trying to give you both arguments because I'll tell you what your liberal friends would say. But two thirds of that, this is, this is an immutable fact. Two thirds of California's Medicaid program is funded by the U.S. government taxpayers, which is you. Now, California also under Obamacare was one of the most aggressive states in the ACA expansion. And, and I'm, all this is going to be in the show notes today. I'm getting a lot of these numbers from a national review piece, uh, which I will put in the show notes at Bongino.com and uh, at conservativereview.com as well. I'll also mm-hmm. put a piece about the Illinois budget disaster. I have a couple interesting pieces from the journal today, too, I'd like you to check out. But the California Medicaid price crisis, these guys in California were aggressive in the Obamacare Medicaid expansion. From 2010 to 2014, they expanded their Medicaid program by 11% annually. Now, that's a that's a huge expansion, folks. You're talking about millions more people given taxpayer funded insurance. Now. I want to bring this up. CalPERS. What was it about CalPERS? I have another note about CalPERS here. Oh, the pension. Yeah, I should get to that, too. Sorry, I don't mean to be so much good stuff. I want to put out today. I don't want to miss any of it. Take a note on that. This is a big deal right now because California does not have the money. They are currently taking money from their rainy day fund billions of dollars to pay off a pension fund, which is underfunded by billions of dollars, which is the classic Joe robbing Peter to pay Paul. They don't <laughs> have the money. So they're expanding Medicaid in, in, you know, dramatically with money they don't have. 
Now, the reason I bring this up is because California right now and the representatives, their congressmen and the senators from California are some of the leading advocates against Obamacare reform and against any changes to the Medicaid expansion. All they don't want any of this to change, Joe. In other words, they're ignoring the numbers that they're going bankrupt. They're just, they're just pretending none of this is happening. And they're out there. And a lot of them are propagating this myth that if the if Obamacare is repealed, and the Medicaid expansion, which expanded Medicaid eligibility for to people up to 138% of the poverty line, it, and it also waived some other requirements, Joe. So it enabled mm-hmm. more people with more money to get on Medicaid. You, you can follow what I'm saying? That's what Obamacare mm-hmm. did. The Democrats are arguing if we take that away, you're going to pull people off Medicaid and people are going to die again. This is what they do. Now. I said on Hannity on Friday, and I got a couple emails from it from people, a couple Facebook posts as well, where I mentioned the number $90,000. And I said, well, the Medicaid expansion, there were people up to you know, $90,000 or not up to, but with 90,000 or more of income who are getting right. Medicaid. And I got a bunch of emails saying, Dan, that's not accurate. That's not 138% of the poverty line. Folks, I never say anything I can't defend ever. Yes, you're correct. And maybe I should have been more careful with the 90000 number but actually i can go higher than that how does like a million in assets sound hmm. you're like that's not 138 percent of the poverty line no no notice what i said i said a million in assets now again i'll i'll, I'll put this piece and this is a piece in the daily signal it's an older one from uh, i think it's melissa quinn it's really good but it describes how people who have a lot of assets joe but not a lot of income right who are worth literally millions of dollars are now getting medicaid in certain farm states where you have a ton of land and assets. Folks, I'm not making this up. There's a story of a lady who got a $500,000 divorce settlement who's on Medicaid. You're paying for her insurance. I'm not making this up. I don't say anything I can't back up. So, yes, you're right. It's not just 90000 I shouldn't have said income. I think that's where I screwed people up. And my apologies for that. I, I, I was debating with Jessica Tarloff on Hannity on Friday. And I was saying how people with... I, what I should have just said is people who are wealthy are getting Medicaid. That's probably a more precise way to be... Uh, to self-correct there. People who are literally a millionaires in assets are getting Medicaid, which is even worse than people with 90000 in income, but I like to be more precise. So I will put that out there. And also the subsidies, by the way, with Obamacare, where you're getting taxpayer money to buy private uh, health insurance in the exchanges, which is not Medicaid, you can be up to 400% of the poverty line for that, Joe. Damn those rich people. Oh, man. I mean, I, this oh. is that. I mean, this is this fit. You would think this would fit perfectly into the left's income inequality argument, there right? Go. Yeah. Now, the reason this happened in the Obamacare expansion is because a lot of states that chose to expand Medicaid up to that 130% of the poverty line based on income, <laughs> not assets, the Obamacare expansion, a lot of the states waived the asset test. Hmm. That's why I brought that up. So before the expansion, you couldn't be, you couldn't have $5 million in land, but only 20000 in income and get Medicaid. There are states where you can pull that off now. That's the problem, folks. Now, as for the people are going to die if they lose Medicaid, there is an unbelievable, I'm going to have a lot of links to the show notes today. There's a really, it's a long piece. Let me warn you in advance, by Forbes. Uh, no, was it? Yeah, it's in Forbes. <laughs> I have so many pieces. I lose. It's definitely in Forbes, I promise you. And there are links and everything in there, but it goes through systematically how this Democrat talking point about how people are going to die if they lose Medicaid is based on a a, a unbelievably flawed report. Now, 
I, I don't have time on the show to go through the 50 or 60 points it makes. It's very wonky, but I'll sum it up with a couple of issues. When your Democrat friends say people are going to die if they lose Medicaid, just so you understand, they're basing it on a report that came out years ago, decades ago, based on 1970s data that showed that uninsured people will have a greater a greater mortality rate than people who who have insurance. So in other words, if you don't have insurance, you you the chances of you dying are much greater. Now you may say, okay, well that makes sense, Joe. If you pull people off Medicaid and they don't have insurance and the study said that if you don't have insurance you're more likely to die. Well, that makes sense, right? Yeah. Well, it doesn't. No. Yeah. Oh, no, it doesn't, Armacut. You're like, yes, of course, because we're thinking we're thinking logically. Here's a problem with the study, folks. That's the stu- the yeah. problem. Yeah, the study's based on 1971 data that was enacted before the uh, regulation changes in the United States where you have to be admitted into an emergency room and cared for. You can't be thrown out of an emergency room. So it was the data is old, and also it was a very small sample size. So liberals love to do this. They love to pick a, one study that shows what it says. And what was the mortality rate here? Let's see. Oh, okay. The study I'm talking about, there was a 25% greater mortality rate for those uninsured rather than people who were insured. But remember, this is before the emergency room rules came out. Mm-hmm. So, And the data is from 1971, taken through 1975. Now, you would think, what? gosh, why are they using such old data from an old sample size? Because that's basically one of the few studies that backs up their assertions. What do the other studies say? Interesting. A guy named Kronick did a study that was 22 times larger. So remember, Joe, when you do studies in science, you want a large sample size, right? Because it randomizes effects across a larger study of people. If I give a drug to Joe and it works, that doesn't mean the drug works for everyone. If I want to test the efficacy of the drug, I wanted to give it to Joe and a thousand other people because I want to see if the drug really works. So a study that was 22 times larger, you would think the results would be a little bit more important. Not to liberals, they ignored this one. Here's a study by this guy, Kronick, with a K, 22 times larger. They found that there is no difference from, uh, in mortality rates between people with private insurance, private insurance versus people with no insurance at all. So forget, I'm not suggesting you should not have insurance. I'm just telling you on this show, we do the data, and the liberals always do this. They cherry pick the data from a study that, that has, by the way, fewer, less scientific robustness than the one that showed the result they don't like, and then they quote the other one. Folks, it doesn't make sense. Again, I'm not telling you not to have insurance. I'm just telling you that the latest study, this not the latest, but the one of the biggest and most robust and most scientifically profound studies, 22 times larger, showed no difference at all. Even worse, Joe, a later study after that, and uh, uh, this one I've, I've quoted quite a bit on yes. the radio shows, a th- there's a 32% higher mortality rate. <laughs> than people who are uninsured if you're on Medicaid. Folks, it's all in the Forbes piece. You can see the data. But the point you should be making to your liberal friends is, so if people get pulled off Medicaid, who, by the way, some of them, not all, but who could make, you know, could be have assets of in the millions of dollars. But if we just roll back the Medicaid and Medicaid program to give it to people who are actually poor, not people who are at a higher, you have assets and people who are above 100% of the poverty level. But if we were to give Medicaid to the poor, the, let me get this straight, Libs. What you're saying is people are going to die. What are you basing it on? Oh, there was a study that came out. Yeah, yeah, I know the study you're talking about. It's a 1970 study before people, uh, when people could actually be turned away in the emergency room. 
And that study was very small. But a later study came out, 22 times larger than that, that showed no difference at all between people who were uninsured and a study and, and people who had private insurance. And a follow-up study after that, people who had um, Medicaid versus people who had private insurance showed that people on Medicaid had a 32% higher mortality rate, meaning they were more likely to die than people who had private insurance. So what are you talking about? Again, liberals are just making it up. They make it up as they go along, folks, because they don't have anything to stand on. And just to be clear, the reason Medicaid insurance is always insufficient, in my mind, is because it's a third-party payer system where there's no incentives to, 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 for cost control and for quality. It, the, you're not paying for it if you get Medicaid from, uh, you know, from taxpayers. Taxpayers are paying for it. So you don't really care about the prices because you're not paying for them. And the doctors in the hospitals, a lot of them, I'm not suggesting they're bad people. I'm just saying I'm an incentives guy, Joe. And the incentives aren't there. You're not paying. Right. They don't have to satisfy you. They only have to satisfy the government. Right. I, folks, this has got to, I mean, th- please read the piece. Again, I know it's long, but you will be much more informed after. And uh, he quotes Avic Roy in there, uh, the author as well, who's really great on this. Maybe it's Avik. I'm sorry. I say names wrong a lot. All right. Um, I have so much more to get to. All right. Quick here. Have you signed up for CRTV yet? If you haven't, uh, please, we're working on the details of the new show now, the Dan Bongino Show. So make sure you get on board now. Go to CRTV.com. You'll get Levin's show, which we've been doing great numbers on. Mark's show has really taken off. And go pick up his new book, by the way, as well. It's terrific. Rediscovering Americanism. You get Stephen Crowder's show. You get Steve Dace's show. You get Michelle Malkin's show. She's always got some surprises there. Go check it out. Go to CRTV.com. It's available for about eight bucks a month. It's like the price of a turkey sandwich. Eight bucks a month is nothing, especially what you're, what you're paying for that crap on cable. Uh, go to CRTV.com and uh, use promo code Bongino, B-O-N-G-I-N-O. You'll get $10 off. All right, let me hammer this one out because it's important to uh, I was another liberal failure. So the theme of the show today has been liberal failures. The Illinois state budget run by liberals uh, nearly forever. Uh, they're going bankrupt. They have no money. Secondly, California, again, run by liberals, thought it would give away free health care to people. They're going bankrupt as well on the Medicaid crisis while they're fighting back, saying if we pull people off Medicaid, people are going to die using faulty data that's not true. Again, liberals don't let facts get in the way of the truth. Um, here's another one for you. CalPERS, the California Pension Program. I saw this in another piece today about California, which really blew me away. Their pension debt is estimated to be $228 billion, meaning if you worked for the state of California and you were on a California pension, you retired, the net present value of the what the government owes to people in the future, Joe, what it owes today, right, in today's mm-hmm. money for future debts right. is $228 billion. You may say, oh, wow, that's astounding. Well... Okie doke. Um, it's astounding, but that's at a 7.5% discount rate. Now, I've explained these in the past. I just want to, because it's important, it just goes to show you how California is not even telling you the truth about, forget about Medicaid for a second in California and Illinois' budget crisis. California is in wor- a world of trouble outside of the Medicaid crisis. When you use an actual or real discount rate, a more genuine one, now, when it, to, to explain what this means, the way California is calculating its liabilities for its pension uh, its pension fund in the future, Joe, mm-hmm. is they use this thing called a discount rate. Now, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to go into the details. not really complicated, but those of you who study finance know exactly what this is. It's basically an interest rate in reverse. So what California is rather cleverly doing is they're using a discount rate of about 7.5%, meaning, 
oh, if we put this amount of money aside now, it'll grow at seven and a half percent in the future. So we can put to, we can put a, a smaller pool of money aside now, Joe, because look, it's going to grow at seven and a half percent and we'll have the money to pay those people in the future. And that amount of money today is two hundred twenty eight billion. Mm. Well, Joe, what's the problem with that? Doesn't sound good. No, it doesn't sound good. And why not, <laughs> Armacos? Because if you don't grow the money at seven and a half percent, what happens? You are what has two thumbs and just screwed over a whole bunch of pensioners? <laughs> this guy, and it's a California politician. If you don't grow at seven and a half percent, folks, you are screwed. Wow. Well, you're not screwed. The pensioners are screwed. So California has not been growing their income, uh, their their pension fund at seven and a half percent. A more realistic rate is about three percent. Ooh. Well, yeah. Uh, ooh is right. Ooh, ooh, We're ooh. back to that Tim Taylor. Ooh, ooh yes, ooh. right. To cop- that may be copyright protected. So shout out to Tim the Toolman Taylor. Right. <laughs> when you use an actual interest rate that's more realistic on their returns, they should have a lot more money, Joe. Right? Because mm. if I needed, say. A trillion in the future, and I know, say I need a trillion in 10 years. Mm-hmm. In 10 years, at a 7% interest rate, you can put to get, you, you can put aside, it'll, it'll double, money will double in 10 years at 7%. So I could put it aside uh, $500 billion, right? Mm-hmm. Now, if that goes down to half of that, I need a whole lot more money now. Here's the number, the real number. At 3%, what California owes if they're going to pay their pensioners. And I'm not trying to scare you if you were a cop or a fireman. You got a California state pension, a teacher. But you should take it on your own to be scared. You don't need any outside stimulus. The real number is $969 billion. That's the shortfall at the actual rate of return. Folks, keep in mind, that's at 3%. God forbid there's another stock market crash and a recession. And people actually start losing money in investment funds. Now you're not talking about nine hundred sixty-nine billion. Now you're talking about two, three trillion. Folks, they're in a world of trouble. Liberalism is imploding anywhere. I cannot wake you up in any stronger arithmetic terms to the the mathematical reality we are facing right now. And the reason I bring this up today again is all of this is happening at the federal level as well. Make them pay the bills monthly. It'll fix all this. Hey, uh, don't forget tomorrow's show. I'll be doing a show tomorrow, um, Joe and I, live show on Independence Day. Mm-hmm. Well, not live, but you know, live for us, which usually means about a half hour delayed. I want to talk about this tax fight. I teased in the beginning of the show because we, there's about to be a huge ideological capitulation to the Democrats. Amazingly, despite the fact that we control nearly everything, the House, the Senate, the courts, the state systems, everything, the Republicans are about to go back to a big tax and spend party platform. And this is a huge fight. And I've got some numbers for you on this. That it's, it's about Obamacare and a tax hidden in there that the Republicans hope you don't know about. That is a huge fight, and we cannot lose this one. All right, folks, thanks again for tuning in. I'll see you all tomorrow. You just heard the Dan Bongino Show. Get more of Dan online anytime at conservativereview.com. You can also get Dan's podcasts on iTunes or SoundCloud. And follow Dan on Twitter 24-7 at DBongino.